0: In this episode of Dietitians Only, we interview Melissa Joy Dobbins, the media mogul and dietitian behind the Sound Bites podcast. Melissa discusses her professional journey and what led her to a career in multimedia. Melissa also gives you tips to get started with your first media appearance and shares how you can get your foot in the door of this exciting industry. You're listening to Dietitians Only, a podcast from dietitians on demand, created by dietitians, for dietitians. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody, and
1: welcome back to Dietitians Only. This is Sarah Glanz here with you today, and I have a very special guest with me. It's Melissa Joy Dobbins, and you've probably heard her name. You may have even listened to her podcast. Melissa calls herself the guilt-free RD because food shouldn't make you feel bad. She's the CEO of Soundbites Inc. and she promotes sound science, smart nutrition, and good food. Melissa is best known, as I mentioned, for her Soundbites podcast, and she also has media training workshops for dietitians and other credible health professionals. So welcome, Melissa. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so excited
2: to be here with you today.
1: Well, we're gonna jump in and get started. We today we're gonna learn all about Melissa's career journey. Um, she has had a non-traditional career journey, and so we like telling those stories. So, do you want to start by telling us just a little bit about your professional journey and how you got to where you are today?
2: Sure. It started off pretty traditional. Uh, I well, I got my bachelor's in dietetics, and then instead of doing an internship. I I wanted to do more school. So I went to graduate school and actually ended up doing a coordinated program kind of in conjunction with my master's degree. And I loved that. It was, it was wonderful. Um, so I did my undergrad at Southern Illinois Carbondale and graduate school at the University of Missouri, Columbia, Mizzou. And because I didn't have like an internship or, you know, my coordinated program had some clinical experience, I, it was really I was encouraged to get a clinical job. And like a lot of dietitians, I was like, I really don't want to do that. But I did. My first job was clinical for a couple of years. And I'm, I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot. It was very interesting. Um, but I was really ready to move to my second job, which was as an outpatient dietitian. And that's also where it became, where I became a certified diabetes educator and uh, stayed in that. It was in a hospital environment, uh, which... I didn't expect to have that be like my favorite job of all time, but I got to do community nutrition, corporate wellness, all kinds of things. I had a great boss and I just learned a lot. I just, I loved that job. And that's also where I got my first uh, media exposure. So the very first day on that job, the Chicago TV station was coming out to do an interview. And (laughs) I tell the story, I'm sitting at lunch with my new coworkers. There's about 10 of us. And the boss came to the table and said, TV station's coming. Who's going to do this interview? And everybody said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, all these insubordinate coworkers—what? they're just telling the boss, no. Well, I guess I'll do it. And of course, I had no idea what I was doing, but I did it. And that kind of planted the seed uh, for five years down the line when I went to my supermarket job. I ended up doing a lot of media and communications in that role. And after that, I worked for the Dairy Council. And then about 11 years or so ago, I started my own business. So started off pretty traditional, but uh, I call myself the accidental entrepreneur because I really didn't have goals of working for myself or owning my own business. It sort of just kind of happened. Between a lot of changes going on at work, a lot of changes going on in my personal family life, and uh, it's been a very interesting journey to say the least. Um, but but media and communications has been a really big part of my career, which in hindsight makes perfect sense. But I wouldn't have guessed that. You know, I was really just loving being an outpatient dietitian, being an educator. Diabetes education is my passion. And I just didn't realize how communications, uh, traditional media, social media, TV, radio, now podcasting, how that could just really open doors and help me grow in my profession and learn new skills and do a lot of fun things as a dietitian.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I think as we're all in our careers and going from day to day and things happen and you do it and you move on. But then when you look back, you really think, wow, that kind of put me down a path when that happened. And Mm -hmm. then that put me down a path. And so it's funny when you look back on things, how you can pinpoint those moments that seemed fairly insignificant at the time, but really changed your career trajectory. Mm-hmm. So that's Absolutely. cool. Um so tell us about you mentioned you started your own business and I love the name Accidental Entrepreneur. So <laughs> um how did you actually get started with your business?
2: Yes, yeah, so I knew that I needed more flexibility and uh needed to be more available for my family and I was ready to kind of spread my wings in a little to some extent, but I knew I didn't want to do private practice. So, a lot of times when dietitians want to be entrepreneurs, private practice is a big part of what they want to do, even if they're also doing media, writing, other communications. The reason I didn't want to do private practice is because as a diabetes educator, I love working for a team and with a team. So, I didn't want to be off in some little room in some clinic by myself. And I also knew that I didn't want to do a lot of weight loss or eating disorders or other types of therapy, I really wanted to focus on diabetes. So, and frankly, I also did not want to deal with insurance and reimbursement and all of that. I just, that just made my head want to explode. So I had to think long and hard about, well, if I don't do private practice, what do I do? What does that look like? And so I did all this brainstorming, you know, with a whiteboard and flip charts and everything. Like, what are my skills? What do I really like to do? Where's that overlap? And I realized that as a supermarket dietitian and a Dairy Council dietitian, I was a state media rep also for Illinois. I had had all of this opportunity for media training and media practice. I'm in Chicago, third largest media market. I was on TV almost weekly for some of that time. I loved radio, didn't love TV, but loved radio and just had all of this training and all of these skills. And it really bothered me that most dietitians don't have access to that. And so I thought, well, maybe I could be part of the solution there. I could try to provide affordable, accessible media and communications trainings for dietitians. And so I thought, okay, that I could really sink my teeth into. And how am I going to pay the bills in the meantime? So I did a variety of things like corporate wellness and speaking. And over time, it evolved into really me just focusing on media trainings, um, which I I can explain more later, but basically I prefer group in-person media trainings. So I'm usually hired by a company like a supermarket or a commodity board or something. I did do some one-on-one coaching initially virtually. Um, but I, I don't do that anymore. Um, but I just really tried to get I tried a lot of different things to try, besides just me, I'm one, I'm one person. How can I help dietitians have more access to this? And um, so that, you know, I could do presentations and mini workshops at state meetings and so on. And in the process, I decided to apply to be an academy spokesperson because I had been the state media rep for quite some time. And so I um, was an academy spokesperson for three years. And then when that role ended, I was a spokesperson for the American Association of Diabetes Educators. They have since changed their name, sort of like the Academy did. Um, So they're the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. And they were great to work with. And so again, here I'm I'm getting more media training and more media exposure and taking those learnings and turning them around and and providing that for dieticians. Before I launched my podcast, I actually had a blog on my website where I interviewed dietitians about their media and communications expertise and tips for other dietitians. And so unbeknownst to me at the time, that was sort of the precursor to my podcast, which does not focus on media and communication skills for dietitians, but I kind of it kind of evolved from that blog post, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. So let me ask you a question. Um, Like you mentioned, so many dietitians don't have the media opportunities or they are nervous to take them even if they do have the opportunities. So why were you not scared? (laughs) (laughs) What made you not scared? The only person at the lunch table who said, yeah, sure, I'll do
2: it. I think that says more about um, me not wanting to be insubordinate to my new boss. Uh, I, I, I knew that I didn't know what I was doing. But there was this little voice in my head saying, if I don't talk to the media, who are they going to talk to? And deep inside me, I knew dietitians are credible. We need to get our voices out there. And I still champion that today. I support other dietitians getting their voices out there. We have our work cut out for us because there's a lot of people out there talking about food and nutrition and science and research that have no business doing so. And so... I just sort of pulled myself up by the bootstraps and said, "Okay, I'm going to do this." And lucky for me, later on, then I was able to get some training. Um, and you know, if, whether I'm doing a presentation, in person, virtual, a media training, my my big message to dietitians is find ways to boost your communication skills. Even if you know, even if you don't want to be on TV, I didn't either, but I did it. Uh, but we we all do presentations. We all do. Speaking in some capacity, whether it's at a team meeting or uh, to a physician, you know, I, even just picking up the phone and trying to make a diet change recommendation if you're a clinical dietitian, there are so many benefits to boosting our communication skills that can just help us enjoy our careers more, open up doors, make more money. Um, so it's not like you have to be on TV. There's so many other venues. You can be a writer. You can do, I parlayed my traditional media experience into podcasting. You know, I'm on the other side of the microphone usually than I am today. And that was a growth opportunity for me as well. So I just think it can really help enhance any dietitian's career.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have often said that dietitians, really at our core, we're communicators because we educate patients, we educate the public. We communicate through written media. Sometimes, like you said, presentations, even something like this, like the podcast, and e- even you know, making handouts for dietitians, or making a yes. flyer that you hang up in the kitchen, or you know, and which a f- I loved doing that when I was an outpatient dietitian. I
2: <laughs> loved doing that, and it's funny you say that because that's exactly what I say in my sessions. I say, as educators, we are communicators, and so. And I also address the fear factor. You asked me, why wasn't I afraid? I get it. We are sometimes afraid to go out of our comfort zones or we think, well, I'm not trained. I don't know how to do that. And so a lot of what I try to uh, get across to dietitians is how to boost your confidence. What are some of the skills and tips that can help you be more confident and more comfortable in whatever way that you're going to stretch yourself to communicate better. Again, some people, you know what, I'm more comfortable writing. Other people, I'm comfortable speaking. How can I take that to the next level? I I have this quote where I say, being a good communicator is more than just being comfortable in front of an audience or a microphone and sharing good content. That's all of us are all doing that, but you can actually take it to the next level and excel in your communications.
1: Absolutely. So While we're on this subject, do you want to tell us a little bit about the media trainings that you do? Um, You mentioned that you typically do it with smaller groups. So can you tell us a little bit about what is included with the training and um, maybe some of the common questions or common areas that you find dietitians need help with?
2: Sure, absolutely. Uh, And like I said, I typically do group trainings where I'm hired by a company. So in that sense, anybody listening may not have access to my trainings, but I'll speak more about how they can access other resources. Um, So I might be speaking at a state dietetic association. Uh, I do anything from, you know, a one hour presentation to maybe a two hour workshop or a four hour workshop or a full day or virtual as well. The core message of my presentations and communications trainings is, again, how can you be more comfortable How can you boost your confidence? How can we be clear, concise, and compelling? And it's hard for us to do some of those things. We have to be evidence based. That's very hard to do sometimes. It's hard to keep up with all the research. So, one tip there I say is swim in your own lane. You're not going to be an expert in every topic. Pick the ones that are of interest to you or that you want to take a deeper dive in and stay in those lanes. Uh, To be concise, I have this visual of, you know, it's like when you, when we first start educating patients and we want to tell them everything we know about a particular topic, we know we can't do it in an hour. We know that it's not going to be helpful. It's the same thing for communications, whether it's a one hour presentation or a three minute video, take your ocean of knowledge and boil it down into a glass of water and figure out what are the most important three key points that you want to communicate about this particular topic. To this particular audience, you know, I'm a certified diabetes educator. There's a lot of stuff I can talk about with diabetes, but there's a lot of stuff that's not in my lane. I couldn't start you on an insulin pump. I used to do that. I couldn't do that today. Um, But let's say I'm talking about holiday eating with diabetes, and my target audience is teenagers. Well, what of all the diabetes things that I would want to convey is most important for that particular timing? an audience. And then how do you be compelling? So this is where I had to struggle a lot because as an educator, I wanted to just be very factual and give information. And I really didn't like having to sort of package things up to be more catchy. Uh, Sometimes I felt like that was maybe fluffy. But what I realized is if you package it up in a way that is more memorable, and then it's more meaningful for people. It's easier for them to get what you're saying, remember it, retain it, and put it into action. So that's a lot of what I do in in my trainings is say, okay, so you've got all these facts and figures. Could you put a story in there? Could you create a comparison or an analogy? How can you bring these facts to life and make it more compelling? So that's kind of a little short course of of what I try to convey, but mostly it's, it's how do you increase your comfort level, boost your confidence? And some of it is telling yourself, Oh yeah, I don't have to know everything. I'm not going to know all the answers. The more advanced trainings I do get into uh, what we call bridging. And that's where you will learn. I did a lot of crisis communications training when I was at the dairy council and my first national TV segment was a crisis segment. So this is like 2.0, 3.0 level. But if you can learn the art of bridging, then you will be so much more comfortable because you can't predict what you're going to be asked, whether it's at the end of a presentation or during a media interview. You can prepare for questions you think you might be asked, but you can't predict completely. So you need to be able to be prepared for any question in a way where you can address the question, not ignore it, but address the question. And bridge back to what you think is most important. and so that is the secret to really being a confident uh, communicator is knowing the art of bridging
1: That's a great tip. I think uh, politicians do that a lot. Yes, they do <laughs> and
2: if you and if you start watching them you'll you'll start seeing it and but dietitians can do it in a way that it feels a little foreign at first, but here's, here's what the beauty of it is. When you do that and you really bridge back to what you really feel is most important, it's a better experience for the audience. Compare that to just answering random questions, you know, like, like we do sometimes with patients, they ask a question and we answer it. That's fine. But then you've got maybe ten different random facts about this topic. Whereas if you can bridge it back to those three most important points, again, it's more meaningful uh, for people, and they're more likely to be able to take action. and And that's the other thing I say: we're not in the business of just making people smarter about nutrition and food. We want to help them take action to make changes to improve their health. So that's the other part I think we forget is sometimes we just share information, but we don't really give that call to action.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I have to share a short anecdote about uh, being a more confident speaker. So when I was in college and high school, I was just absolutely terrified of public speaking to do something like this. I would have just melted into a puddle. But, um, (laughs) you know, when we started doing more webinars and I got a little bit more, that was such a good talking about bridging. That was such a bridge because it was I I wasn't really in front of an audience. I was public speaking, sort of, but I wasn't really standing in front of an audience. And so that allowed me to basically grow my public speaking confidence, but Mm -hmm. in a safe environment, so to speak. But the first time I was ever invited to speak at a conference, it was a state dietetic association group. And of course, it would be in front of a live audience. And I was so nervous because I had done a lot of webinars, but that's different than when you're standing on a stage and everybody has their eyes on you. And so I developed this um, little mantra that Mm -hmm. I have like a positive affirmation that I would tell myself every day leading up to the day of the conference. And I'm going to debut it here. So. It was, I am intelligent and I can confidently speak my truth. And I would just say that to myself. And I i actually told that to um, my mentee. I told her that um, because she had a, a presentation coming up and she was nervous. And I said, just tell mm. yourself that you're intelligent and you can confidently speak your truth. And if you say that enough times, you're going to start to believe it. And just say it until it's internal and you mm. feel confident. Um, yes. So I was just going to say, anyone listening, if you need to borrow it, (laughs) go for it.
0: There
2: you go. Take it. That is so important. I'm glad you shared that because what we say to ourselves is powerful. Our brains are powerful. And if we're not aware, just we talk about this with food nutrition all the time. Like, don't say to yourself or in front of your children, like, oh, I need to lose weight. Oh, you know, whatever. All those negative things. Mm -hmm the negative things we say to ourselves really do make an impact. So saying positive things is so powerful. And I recommend something similar. Well, first of all, there's no substitute for practice. Practice builds confidence and there is no substitute for that. And I think we're all busy and we spend a lot of time on the content and maybe the slides or whatever, and we forget or we think I ran out of time. I don't have time to practice. It's really important. And what I tell people, and it's kind of like what I ended up figuring out for myself, is when you're speaking to a group of people, that audience wants you to do well. They don't want to waste their time. They want you to do well. You're not going to make everybody happy. There's always going to be some person in the audience who's but this, but that, whatever. Uh, I've actually had people like critique what I'm wearing when I present. And I'm like, really? Okay. Uh, I'm not going to let that get to me. Um, But if you can tell yourself, remind yourself, you're there to help people and they want you to do well and you have something important to share. And that really, I think, takes the pressure off. It's like it's not about you. It's about the
1: information
2: and inspiration you're giving to your audience.
1: Yes, 100 percent. I couldn't agree more. Um, I could not agree more. So Um, So let's talk about dietitians. Um, Like we mentioned earlier, there really is this a lot of noise out there in the world, on the Internet, in media. And you mentioned, you know, people talking about science and nutrition who have no business doing so. So Mm -hmm. how can dietitians continue to innovate and reinvent themselves so that they're staying relevant and they can be a voice that's actually heard among all the noise?
2: Yeah, it's challenging. Like I always say, and I said earlier, we have our work cut out for us. And not every dietitian can or should go about this the same way. Some are more comfortable being sort of opinionated and more vocal, more power to them. I admire those people. I'm not always comfortable putting like a target on my my back sometimes. I I want to be a little bit more Diplomatic, Um, but I admire those people who who can just tell it like it is. Uh, So keep in mind that you you have to kind of be true to yourself and your own personality. We don't all have to be the same. I think it it should be. I think that it's best if you really dig into things that you're passionate about. You know, um, I'm passionate about diabetes, so I'm going to know more about that topic and be more confident speaking out on that topic. But whatever it is that interests you, those, you know, you don't have to, you know, fight every battle. You know, pick and choose the battles that you're really passionate about. And just know that this is one one important thing I learned from Crisis Communications training is there's a lot of negative stuff out there. And sometimes we feel like, well, you know, I'm just putting out this solid, credible information, but does it matter? when people, you know, whatever topic it is, you know, what's the hot topic of the day? I don't know, probably some fad diet or some TikTok trend. When people hear about this and they go to search online about it, the more sources of credible information that are there, the more it's going to balance out the information that's not evidence-based. So whether it's today or tomorrow, or, you know, a hot topic or a trend, the information that you're sharing does help balance out the negative information out there. And there's a lot of talk these days about nutrition misinformation, but also disinformation. And I did a recent episode on this topic with Connie Dickman, who's a dietitian and Kami Ryan, who's not a dietitian, she has a PhD, uh, because they just Published a paper, I can't remember the journal, but we'll link to it in your show notes on this topic, and really gets into the challenges and the responsibilities and the ethics of dietitians when it comes to sharing evidence-based information and also being better at critical thinking ourselves and helping our patients and the public also um, be better critical thinkers. So that's a huge topic that, um, you know, we, 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 we can't just ignore. You know, we all have to sort of be familiar with. And sometimes it's a moving target. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on with disclosure and FTC guidelines and things like that. But that's probably beyond the scope of our conversation today. Um, so there's a lot to kind of keep up to date on. But that's where I think we can look to our colleagues. You know, Sarah, I know you work with a team of people who specialize in different areas. And so if you can reach out to, friends colleagues coworkers who do have expertise in different areas you know like if i get a media interview request and it's on gluten free or celiac it's not my area of expertise i know people to refer the reporter to just just various things like that i think we can really benefit from reaching out to our peers in some of those situations
1: And I think that's such a good way to lift other dietitians up because we're, there's room for all of us at the table and so much room. Oh yeah. And so you don't have to own every interview. You don't have to respond to every post. I really like what you said and it really resonated with me that you swim in your own lane, you pick your talents and your interests and you just stay there. Um, The Mm -hmm. dietitians don't have to know everything and we don't know everything. So I think that's such an important thing to remember, um, especially if you're looking to go into media or even if you're trying to develop your online brand or identity, just figure out who you are and be true to yourself. Yeah.
2: And I think it makes common sense when you hear it, but I do think it helps for us to remind ourselves because I think we tend to just sort of go off into this space of just assuming like, oh, I don't know that. How am I? You know, just feeling overwhelmed. And we remind ourselves that we don't have to do that for sure.
1: Yes, certainly. So um, as we wrap up today, do you have any advice for dietitians who might be looking to get into doing more media interviews or they want to go on their local morning um, television show or what have you? So um, how do they get their foot in the door with that? And do you have any just quick bits of advice?
2: Absolutely. There are so many things you can do. If you work in a hospital setting, introduce yourself to the PR department. They need to know about you. They can really leverage you. They will be so happy to know about you. And also, ideally, which topics that you could speak to, because they're reaching out to the media all the time. Or the media comes to healthcare institutions, and it would be great for them to know to have you on speed dial and to to go to you and say, hey, would you be able to speak on this topic? And again, rest assured, if they come to you with a topic that's not in your wheelhouse, tell them you can find somebody who can speak to that. So that's one tip that a lot of people don't realize. You know, If you're working in a hospital setting, I, I use this example. If you're the clinical renal dietitian, we still need your voice out there. There's a lot of things going on. If you hear something in the news about, um, I don't know, a celebrity related health care or health issue, that's a great opportunity to leverage kind of a pop culture to, you know, hey, everybody's interested in this right now, um, you know, because of ex-celebrity got sick or special diet or something, that's a really great way to sort of, um, use that pop culture as a, as a hook to get credible information out. Funny story. I had, um, I was already booked on a Chicago TV station to talk about, um, <laughs> safe grilling, um, at, uh, Father's Day, right. Father's Day, June grilling month, whatever men's health. And, uh, as I was at the TV station preparing for my segment, there was a news story that Jennifer Hudson had foodborne foodborne illness. So I wove that into the into the segment. Had I seen that on the news, and I hadn't already had a segment on safe grilling, that would have been a great idea to pitch to the to the media. Say, hey, you know, Jennifer Hudson just had foodborne illness. How can people avoid foodborne illness? Um, so just different things like that. But um, just. In general, I would encourage all dietitians to grow their communication skills in some fashion. And that could just simply be saying yes to opportunities or creating opportunities. If you want to write more, maybe you can write a newsletter at your business or your church, uh, seeking opportunities and being open to opportunities to practice more of your communication, speaking, writing, whatever. And if you do have the desire, I definitely encourage you to seek out media training. I do, like I said earlier, most of my trainings aren't really accessible to just anybody listening, but I do have a, a recommendation of one of our colleagues. Um, Bonnie Tob Dix has an e course and it's affordable. Um, I really feel strongly that dietitians don't need to spend a ton of money to boost their communication skills, you might have to spend a little bit. If you can get free courses, that's great. If if the coach or trainer is a dietitian, that's even better. I've had a lot of media trainings where the person was not a dietitian and they just don't quite hit the nail on the head because they don't quite understand what we do. But I I strongly recommend Bonnie Tob Dix's uh, media course. Uh, we can put the link in the show notes, but her website is bonnetobdix.com. And that's b o n n i e t a u b d i x dot com. She also offers some one-on-one coaching, and again, it's very affordable. And she's just an amazing communicator in our field, so um, just couldn't couldn't say enough about her. And then I would just say, you know, again, following your interests. If um, you know, like for me, combining diabetes and whatever communications aspect. Um, Think about what topics are of interest to you and what communications vehicles might be of interest to you and and try to get out of your comfort zone a little bit.
1: Yes, for sure. Well, um, we'll definitely link that uh, Bonnie Tob Dix's website and the research article you mentioned earlier um, in the show notes. And so... You also have a podcast. And so, of course, if you enjoyed listening to Melissa, you have such a great radio voice. Um, (laughs) So we've (laughs) also (laughs) uh, provided...
2: That's better than a radio face, I guess, right?
1: Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we've linked Melissa's podcast in our show notes as well. But do you want to tell us a little bit about what types of topics you cover and, and guests that you've had and maybe some highlights from your podcast?
2: Oh, I would love to. So the show just turned eight years old recently, and we hit a million downloads over the summer. But what I think I'm most excited about is that 17,000 free continuing education activities have gone through my podcast in a little over three years. So at any given time, I have about 50 different free CEU opportunities. I don't submit every episode, just select episodes, the one that the ones that have enough science in them or that I think are topics of interest. Um, so yeah, I I started off kind of with this goal of interviewing other experts. It's not me talking. I want to talk to the experts and and learn from them and share that out with my audience. So I have very few solo episodes, and they're usually just sort of like end of year recap or what's coming the next year. So I interview a variety of experts on a variety of topics. I like to say everything from fad diets to farming. And of course, you're going to see some diabetes related topics because I love diabetes, which is I know a weird thing to say, but I do. I love diabetes. Uh, And I'm always open to suggestions. I've had fans contact me and say, Hey, have you thought about doing this topic or even suggesting themselves as a guest? And so I I love hearing those types of recommendations. And I do an annual podcast survey where people can also tell me what were your favorite episodes? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? Do you have any topic suggestions or, or guest recommendations? So yeah, I had no idea I'd be doing this for eight years, but there's no slowing down to the interesting topics and guests that I have on my wish list. I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store. I have to kind of pace myself. But yeah, I I just I enjoy it a lot. And I my audience is a mix of dietitians and other healthcare professionals and the general public. But I really think there's a lot there for my peers. And I just um, enjoy doing it and hope to continue doing it for some time.
1: Well, we hope you do, too, and we would love to have you back on our podcast um, another time as a a repeat guest, Um, but it's been awesome to talk to you and hear your career journey, and I think it's so inspiring to dietitians. Again, I'm with you, you know, dietitians need to get out there and speak up and do more and be visible, Um, so we can always, we can listen to that message on repeat.
2: Yeah. You and I are like soul sisters on that, it seems. And like you said, there's so many seats at that table and the more of us that are out there, the better and just lifting others up. And so I really appreciate the work that you guys do at Dietitians On Demand as well.
1: Well, thank you. The feeling is mutual. So um, thank you again to Melissa and thank you everyone for listening. And we hope that you will tune in again soon. Bye. Bye now.
0: As a listener of Dietitians Only, your opinion matters. What do you like about the podcast? Who do you want us to interview next? We invite you to visit our show notes to complete a quick survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback will help us create future episodes that you'll love. Thanks for listening to Dietitians Only, a podcast produced by Dietitians On Demand. If you need a break today, scroll over to the review section of the podcast and leave us one. Your feedback is the best way to help the podcast grow. Dietitians On Demand employs hundreds of dietitians nationwide and elevates the profession with simple yet effective practice resources, like this podcast. Don't forget to stay connected with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram.